Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is Houston Cougars insider Sam Raz, co-host of the Scott Holman podcast. Great to have you back on the show, Sam. And it's a week where Kelvin Sampson team is ranked number one in the nation for the first time in nearly 40 years besides me. I don't know if anybody else remembers the last time they were ranked number one. It's back in the five slam pajama days. What what are your general observations from this team so far? I think so far we've seen this team really, really live up to a lot of the uh, preseason hype. Obviously, you can only tell so much through seven games. You can only tell so much when those seven games really featured six teams that you should have won by varying degrees of comfortable margin against. Even the seventh team there in their Oregon, I, I wouldn't say is a, a team that would be a sure on lock to be. Uh, in the NCAA postseason or anything like that, though I think the Cougars did show themselves to be a uh, a feisty team going up to Eugene and playing in a true road setting, a good environment there for the first time uh, on the season. But I would say the way this team has played against the competition so far, the margins of victory that U of H has held nearly every opponent they've seen so far to historic lows for points to uh, just really great offensive outputs that you've seen a team that, I think is deeper than any Kelvin Sampson team that's been here so far, which is quite a statement because Kelvin Sampson's had quite a number of very good teams here in the last uh, several seasons. So I think, obviously, I think the biggest tests are still to come in this season, but I think this team through seven games does not give you any reason to think that maybe we overestimated what they had coming in this year. All right, we're going to get to some of the individual guys, but when I look at the AP poll this week, something jumped out at me. So next year... The Cougs play in the Big 12. Baylor is ranked sixth. The Jayhawks are ninth. But most importantly, the Longhorns are number two right behind U of H. I, I bet you might have noticed that. A <laughs> little, little bit. And uh, as much as it just uh, hurts me deep inside to give them credit, I, I don't think they're going anywhere. Obviously, Chris Beard is a heck of a basketball coach. has seemed to uh, really, not that should be any surprise to anyone, but has figured out how to get good basketball players to uh, come to the 40 acres and play there. So I think obviously the big 12's basketball strength is a contingent of the burnt orange school in Austin. I think the burnt orange school in Austin and uh, Oklahoma were added to the sec probably more for the football side of things. But I would say even for, even for this gap year or two that they're going to be in the league with the Cougars, they will be uh, a very good basketball program in their own right. I think the struggle is going to be when you look at the big 12 next year, the year after and probably all the years after that is to find a bad basketball team. I think your safest bets there are maybe Cincinnati or central Florida, but you know, we're talking one team out of 10 or 12 here is going to be a very fun basketball league. Obviously we're very much living in the present when it comes to Houston Cougar basketball and what that team is this year, but it's a very exciting future to look ahead to uh, as well. Just really clear skies and uh, sunny days as far as you can see, if you're a, a Cougar basketball fan right now. So the Longhorns are going to be in the same league with the Cougars. Is it next year and in the year after? Just two years? Theoretically, the next two years. But I, I'll believe it when I, I, I was someone in the I'll believe it when I see it camp that they would even be in in the league next year. But I think that's been pretty well confirmed at this point. Technically, it's not until the uh, summer of 2025 that uh, that the changeover happens. But I, I don't expect them to be in the league for a full two seasons with all new members. I think. Uh, I think the most you could probably expect is just it to be next year, though. Technically, right now, it's going to be in the summer of 2025. But yeah, don't expect that. 
And football and basketball, these these are going to be some big bragging rights games because you know as soon as they go to the SEC, that's the last that's they're going to see of oh, yeah. as, as they will do. And frankly, I think I can speak for my currently absent co-host. I think we were both of the opinion that we would believe that UT wouldn't pay exorbitant sums of money to make this game not happen when we saw it. But looks like at the very least we're going to be getting a 2023-2024 season uh, with the Longhorns and Cougars temporarily sharing a conference, which I, I think is very rich to me uh, personally as a big-time Longhorn hater. Yeah, I-, I can't wait to see them face off. That should be a lot of fun. Maybe not so much in football, but in basketball, it's definitely going to be entertaining next year. Let's get to some of the individual guys and Sasser's shooting is below par, 31% from three. Does he seem back at 100% to you? I think he's still working through some stuff. I and mean, we did see it against Norfolk State. So heavy context there, though Norfolk State uh, is is a team that's been to the last two NCAA tournaments. And that's what I'll also very quickly know as an aside. U of H has a few very bad teams in the non-conference schedule. You haven't seen U of H face a very bad team yet, but he does look like a guy who missed a decent chunk of last year. But I would also say the Cougars, on the whole, have actually kind of struggled shooting from deep. That this team has won games and looked dominant at times while really only shooting the ball well from deep against Norfolk State this weekend. I would say Oregon uh, up in Eugene. That was really how the Cougars in that one were able to counter the fact that the Ducks just had them absolutely killed on the inside there. So he looks like a guy that's still kind of working off the rust of missing the majority of the last season. But I would say he's also a guy that looks more capable of scoring in different ways than he ever has before in his career. You saw flashes of it last year. I think that's why I thought his ceiling last year, if he'd stay fully healthy, was as an All-American. But I think you're seeing even more that he's more willing to get to the basket. He's more willing to score. He's not just a guy who's a bomber from deep, kind of how he started in his career. And he's a very good three-point shooter, a guy with a good stroke, a guy with a good repeatable motion. But I think the exciting thing is that he hasn't shot particularly well from deep and yet he still found a way to be a productive score because he could do so much more now than he could two, three years ago. Yeah, you talk about them struggling in general. Really, the one guy that sticks out like a sore thumb is Jamal Shedd. And it's surprising because you would figure with Mark and Sasser back, he would have better shots to work from than he has had in the last year. Yeah, though, I, I would say also more so maybe than last spring, teams now have a full season of film on Jamal Shedd. You know, he was he was someone even before Sasser got hurt last year was playing a much bigger role than his freshman season, but I don't think anyone expected him going into last season to play as big of a role as he did and frankly had no choice but to play that role from the end of December through uh, the NCAA tournament. So I think that's part of it too, that people have a lot more film, a lot more scouting, a lot more of a chance to see what Jamal Shedd could do and react accordingly though. I think we've gradually started to see him may come out of that beginning of the season shooting funk. And frankly, also, though, as much as I think it would just make this team that much more unstoppable if Jamal Shedd was hitting his shots a little more frequently, he does so much that it's almost like whatever offense you get from him is a bonus. Not too dissimilarly to Galen Robinson, a great uh, player from the recent Cougar pass. So I would say Jamal Shedd's offensive ceiling is a good bit higher, especially as a three-point shooter than, uh, than Galen's was. He is a guy who, even if he's having a one-for-seven night, he's still probably playing plus defense on your opponent's best guard. He's still finding Shed Sasser and a surprising number of uh, really effective big men in the offense. So it feels more like a nice bonus when he does have a good night calling his own number because he's doing so much for you as a defender and distributor and floor general, kind of the tip of the spear defensively for you as well. 
Well, let's get to the big guy, Jerace Walker. Everybody's talking about him, the McDonald's All-American. What are your early impressions of him? He's like no other player I've ever seen at the University of Houston. Obviously, you know, you, you back far enough, guys like Drexler and Olajuwon, I, I think you, you start to see comparisons there. But I remember just watching his very first game this year, I guess I think Northern Colorado, and, and just the way he was moving. I was just like, I've never seen a guy on this era of U of H basketball in the front court do what he's able to do. I think you see the freshman moment sometimes. You see a guy who, for the last several years, has been such an unbelievable talent that he probably, I wouldn't even say so much as a conscious thing, is just hasn't had to ever play at a really high motor because he's just been such a freak, even among the best of the best in terms of high school basketball players. So you're seeing some growing pains there. You see a guy who's having to even as a McDonald's All-American, figure out the collegiate level. But you're also seeing a guy who's incredibly unselfish, a great athlete, a great rebounder, a guy who really has an incredible range from the three-point line to the interior. There was just one play where I think it was, yeah, it was against Oregon second half. He crossed up his defender and then banked in a three. And it's just, it's like we haven't had a guy who's 6'8 and can do that uh, at any point Uh under Kelvin Sampson, you see the inconsistency, but you also see the mouthwatering ceiling that I, I would say very few guys who have come into this program could even say that they're in the stratosphere. I would say the numbers really don't jump off the page. You early, I think you're seeing some of that inconsistency, but I think you're also seeing a selfless guy who has bought very much into uh, what Kelvin Sampson wants to do with him. And someone who, when he committed to the Cougars, it was very much about, he wanted to pick the coach that would, make him the best that would develop him at this level, which I, I think that's, that's very exciting. You don't usually see that kind of attitude from a, a blue chip McDonald's all American guy like him. So work in progress, but a guy whose ceiling is just higher than higher than anyone that's come through this program. A, a very exciting guy, a guy who very much has lived up to the hype uh, for me personally, even, even if you're seeing some kind of freshman unevenness from him. Enjoy why you can, Cougars fans. It's just not going to be here for long. Yeah. Uh, quick reminder to subscribe and comment on YouTube. That's how you can support the show. Let's get to Terrence Arsenault, the freshman from Beaumont, who is the newest weapon in the backcourt. Didn't have any idea what to expect from him. Jairus Walker, at least I got to see at the McDowell's All-American game. Um, how talented is Terrence Arsenault? So for me... Really, the kind of breakout moment with Terrence Arsenault was what he did uh, up at Oregon. Because quite honestly, as much as it was a 10-point win and he wasn't the only player that played well, I don't know, I don't feel confident that the Cougars would have left Eugene without a very uncomfortable win were it not for what you got from Terrence Arsenault uh, in that one. He, he was a guy who was just in the right spot at the right time, hit the big shots, showed an offensive versatility a couple different times quieted an Oregon crowd that was kind of gradually getting back into the game. And I think the best comparison I can make for him is he reminds me a lot of uh, Nate Hinton, a recent uh, recent Cougar player, somebody I think this fan base holds in a very high regard, in that he's just an incredibly smart basketball player. He's a guy who, when he's on the floor, offensively or defensively, is in the right spot at the right time. Someone who's able to find a way to get open. And unlike Nate, who I, th I think was still... At the time, one of the better recruits of this program had been able to get 
I think he's at a different level physically that he's not just an intelligent basketball player, but he's somebody who's a three level scorer who can really just make about any shot on the court, can slash the basket. I think you still see some rawness. I think, whereas kind of like you said earlier, Jairus Walker, enjoy it while you got him because uh, he's here for one year and then he's uh, off the professional ranks. I could see maybe getting a second year out of Arsenal. I could see Arsenal maybe potentially coming back to that first big 12 season and leading the team next year with guys like Jamal Shedd, potentially uh, Emmanuel Sharp uh, as well. So I think he's maybe a bit less of an absolute physical freak as Jarris Walker, which is, I guess, very few basketball players out there, the kind of physical freak that, uh, that Jarris Walker is, but an incredibly intelligent basketball player. And I think when it's all said and done, I don't think there's going to be very much difference between where those two guys get drafted. I think it just might take another year for uh, Terrence Arsenal to get there. It should be fun to watch his development too. And, and I want to ask you about some big recent news that could have an effect on the Cougars on the court. It's an off the court story, but before I get to that, just a quick reminder to our viewers to watch our live Texans Browns post game show Sunday. It's Deshaun's return to Houston. So who knows what can happen? Uh, it should be fun on Sunday. You can watch our live post games anytime on our YouTube page or listen later on your favorite podcast app. All right, Sam, what does this seven-figure NIL deal from Gallery Furniture mean for the Cougar basketball program? I mean, I mean, first off, like, very cool that uh, Mattress Mac isn't just throwing his weight behind the local pro teams, though as much as I've enjoyed him throwing his weight behind the local pro teams as somebody who grew up uh, watching Mattress Mac uh, year, years and years. One of my earliest memories is watching Rockets games, uh, with the old commercials when uh, Max still had a little bit of uh, pepper to go with the salt uh, uh, in the hair. But I think it just, this is obviously a very appealing program just because you can, you could look at the guys who've come through here and seen how they've developed that Kelvin Sampson hasn't just won a bunch of games on the court, but guys I really do feel like have come to this program and maxed out their pro potential. I can't think of any guys in the last four or five years who've come in there where I've kind of thought candidly to myself, man, he really could have been a great one and just uh, hasn't developed. You've seen you know, Nate Hinton and Dejan Giroux both kind of around the fringes uh, of the NBA. Uh, Damian Dotson, if you want to go back uh, the furthest, has had kind of a decent little journeyman career. But obviously, Quentin Grimes going from a pretty disappointing freshman season at Kansas to uh, a first-round pick and a really a strong rotation guy for the New York Knicks. So you already had the on-court results. You already had the development. And now to see U of H being competitive, because I mean, you see, you saw it with, uh, God, I, I hate bringing them up twice, but the burnt orange school in Austin was able to snag a, uh, a really critical player from a conference rival, Tyrese Hunter, who was a great player at Iowa state last year, went to the Longhorns. And I, I think no matter what he says publicly, NIL considerations and the chance to play for Chris Beard were a big part of that. And U of H can kind of do something similar now that you have this big NIL deal with mattress Mac in addition to everything else, Landon Gosling and Lincoln Coos and all the other people in the uh, U of H NIL space are doing that you can get all the NIL benefits, be set up for a good pro career to coach who has proven here that he could put guys in the best position to play the next level and get the NIL benefits. It's really, it's just checking all the boxes and makes a program that I think was already a pretty attractive one for, you know, your perspective, uh, high school players, transfers, et cetera. I, I think made it just uh, even more attractive if at all possible. And, yeah, really, really incredible stuff that uh, that Max wanted to throw his weight behind the uh, local basketball team like that. All right. 
I, I guess I got to go to the other sport and notice that I buried I appreciate my... you give it, I appreciate you giving me like 18-ish minutes of basketball talk. I, I really do. <laughs> so I've buried my football questions until later in the show, like you should with the Cougars. Is there any way to explain what happened this year? I can't believe they were top 25 just three months ago. We're about to do a... We, just, we talked about it for the usual 25, 30 minutes on this most recent podcast, and we're actually going to do a full deep dive, Dustin and I, on the season because we realized that there was no way to fully, I guess, uh, unpack the season without giving it its own space. But I would say the most simple answer, the answer that fits into the time that you and I have here is that I think you got a lot worse on defense than expected. I think some backsliding was to be expected. You lost two NFL cornerbacks. You lost a really good pass rusher in um, Derek Parrish early in the season, in addition to Logan Hall, an early second round pick of the Bucks, Some regression there. I, I figured we were going from being a top 25, 30-ish defense to a top 65, 70-ish, but I figured there'd be, you know, a commensurate offensive improvement to offset that. And there, there was a commensurate offensive improvement, but you didn't go from being a good defense to an average defense. You went from being a good defense to one of the 15, 20 worst uh, in the country. And, and so a little bit of that's out of your control. The guys you lost to, graduation some injuries in there but there weren't so many injuries that you could say oh well they lost key guys at every single level i dust and i were talking about it that you just got carved up last saturday by tulsa and a redshirt freshman quarterback and four of your five-ish secondary guys were guys who walked on senior day so as much as i don't want to give dana holgerson credit for too much i do believe those were probably four or five of your best best players in the secondary which begs the question What's behind him? What's going to happen now that you don't have these guys that comprise maybe one of the 10, 15 worst pass defenses in college football? And I would say the offense improved on the whole, but it was too inconsistent at the start of the year. You didn't start seeing what this offense could really be with Clayton Tune, with Tank Dell and all those guys until about five, six games into the season. And by then, your defense was really starting to fall off the cliff. It's frustrating because that week two game against Texas Tech, you actually got one of your better defensive efforts of the season. You held Texas Tech to 20 points in regulation of that one, but just couldn't couldn't get more than a pretty below average offensive effort. And then in that one failed pretty spectacularly in some key defensive moments as well. So I think the shortest answer is the offense improving, but not enough into the season to make up for the fact that you fell off a cliff defensively, I think uh, way worse than could be reasonably expected. I mean, you guys were talking about the defensive coordinator walking to take a head coaching job not that long yeah. ago. And yeah, is does he have, he was getting features on ESPN.com. Yeah. Does he get any culpability in all this? I mean, I think he should, but at the same time, I don't believe he stopped. I don't believe he forgot how to coach ball in an off season. I don't believe, you know, I think for these things, the coach too often gets too much credit when it goes well and too often gets too much blame when it goes badly. But I also I mean, when you're a million-dollar coordinator, I think you should be a whole lot better than I think the last SP plus thing I saw was the defense was somewhere around 110, 115 with as many returning guys from a year ago. Guys who I think now it's very important to note were recruited by the staff, were recruited largely by this defensive coordinator, Doug Belk, who's taken a big role in the recruiting on that side of the ball. So you can no longer, you can no longer blame the previous staff that did do a bad job recruiting. This is now four years in, all your guys. and whatever the reason, you know, you had one of the worst defenses in the country. And 
I think there should be culpability, but I also think if there was going to be a coordinator change, I think there's enough professional respect that they would have done that immediately and allowed Doug Belk or whatever assistance. Although we're still early, it's still only Wednesday after uh, the regular season, so maybe maybe we'll record this, and then tomorrow a bunch of big news will break, and I'm uh, everything I'm saying ends up being uh, dated. But I feel like if there was going to be a change there, it would have happened by now. And I don't know. Like it's it, one of the questions we posed was how do you how do you fix the secondary where you graduated nearly all the guys from there? And oh, by the way, it was terrible when all these guys that were about to graduate. We're there. Do you go in the portal for three or four positions? Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of guys there. It's ever been more trendy to add through transfers. And uh, the two great corners that I mentioned earlier, Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams, were uh, a D1 transfer and a junior college transfer, respectively. So maybe you do that. But I don't know. It's a, it's a hard sell for me. But I do think right now on December 1st, it's, it's hard to see a change getting made there. I, I think if it would have happened, it would have happened already all right you lead me right into the next question because can you weigh maybe the benefit of moving to the big 12 next year on recruiting against how this season has gone and how that might affect recruiting next year because with the portal and everything going on right now in college football like season to season you have a bad season and all of a sudden it, it's uh the rats jump in the ship yeah and i will say for all my criticism i have I have lots of them. I think the season was a pretty bad failing across the board by the coaches, by the players, by the team at large. I don't think this group of guys has quit on this coach. I don't think this group of guys hates this coach. I really, everything I saw after this game was guys being disappointed, but I really do think this team loves Dana and maybe, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe there isn't a healthy fear. Maybe there aren't guys really looking over their shoulder in terms of uh, competition, in terms of being worried about uh, getting their spot taken. I don't know. I don't know if it's really affected recruiting. I, I think one of the one of the higher rated guys did decommit, but we're not talking like a four star here. And yeah, I don't know. And they've done they've done fairly well in the portal. I don't know if I can answer it just yet because I feel like there's a lot still to be done on that side from December to early January. I think long term, I think you could question why why do you i mean obviously accepting the fact that it's going to be extremely 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 costly to uh not just buy this coach out but to bring uh, a new coach in i think you question long term whether this is the coach to lead this program into the big 12 but i really actually don't for all the bad stuff of the season there's there's a lot of red meat on the bad stuff of the season i don't know if it's really affected recruiting i, I think Actually, the highest rated guy in the class right now, Jonah Wilson, a former uh, Longhorn commitment, I think actually committed to the Cougars either right before or right after SMU dropped 77 on us, which kind of kind of surprised me at the time of the offensive commitment, I guess. So it wasn't as concerned about the 77, uh, more concerned about the uh, Cougars scoring 63 there. So I don't know if it's going to affect recruiting, but I, I do think it's obviously it's a concern that you were seven of five this year and are about to just take a big, big step up in the uh, level of team you're going to be facing. So that leads me also to my next question. Any heat on Holgerson, or is next year the ultimate litmus test for him? I mean, from the fan base, yeah. I mean, I think you'd, I think you'll still get varying opinions, but I think you would have to, at this point, look long and hard to find, to find somebody in the Cougar fan base who's like, no, no, no. I think this coach is great. I think he's the, I think he's just as good as I 
thought it was 12 months ago. I don't know if you're going to really find that opinion uh, outside of the football facility among this fan base, but I still think you'll, you'll find people who are just like, oh, this, this guy has to go now. He needs to go yesterday. I don't care how much money it is. You know, I think he's feeling heat from the fan base. I think maybe actually the biggest concern is not the heat, it's the apathy. Uh, because they're really, you played six home games this year, really only one of those, Kansas, the opener, which which that uh, that definitely drove the subsequent uh, lack of attendance just because that was uh, such an uncompetitive effort uh, from the Cougars. I think the apathy is what should concern the people on Colin Boulevard the most right now, that obviously the few people still showing up to these games are uh, universally some degree of uh, not pleased with the on-field product, but I think what should concern them most is not the twelve or 13,000 people that were at uh, TDCU last Saturday for the Tulsa game. It's the 30,000 empty seats. And the the uh, every fan that went to the basketball game against Kent State early in the afternoon and it didn't come back to the football game that evening or didn't stick around campus to, you know, go tailgate, go get something to eat, go do the many things on campus. The things on campus that weren't there 10, 15 years ago, the things designed to you know, keep you around and entertain you. Every one of those people going home and not coming back and either ignoring the game or watching it at home on TV should be the biggest concern right now for the brain trust. I mean, and he's, it was correct when he said it. When he introduced Holgerson, Chris Pesman, the current and then athletic director, said that, you know, he referenced all the empty seats from the last season made draft one. He said, I couldn't afford not to make a change. And obviously, a little bit of difference between the Apple White and Holgerson buyouts here, but uh, the same principle still applies. I think it should concern them. The, I- the idea of playing Baylor next year and having that stadium be 40, 50% Houston area Baylor alums because Cougar fans just checked on us. That should be the biggest concern. I think, uh, I think for the people running the show over at U of H. I saw stuff where he's not taking culpability as much, you know, kind of blaming the players early in the season. We just saw, one of his players slapping another team's player at the end of this last game. I mean, there's just some stuff with him that's starting to get a little weird. And this is not the kind of things that, that you want to see from a guy that is supposed to be in charge of a program right now. Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's such a millennial thing to say, but the vibes are off. It just really, other than the fact you know, I said earlier, which genuinely the guys do seem to like Holgerson. And I don't think you're going to see a transfer exodus other than, guys who are probably going to be second, third, or fourth string next year anyway. But yeah, you had that. You had um, the same wide receiver who slapped the guy uh, against Tulsa getting into a fight with another receiver on the sidelines against Kansas and that uh, that going viral, even even more so than the slap, which I guess, mercifully for the Cougars, being a 7-5 and five team uh, going against a 4-7 and seven team on ESPNU kind of buried another pretty embarrassing moment uh, for that program. And yeah, he did eventually. He walked back those comments after the Rice game. He said emphatically, yeah, it's my responsibility and we have to be more disciplined. And it falls on me. And he's said some some degree of the old, those old Gary Kubiak lines that falls on. It, it felt like he was almost uh, doing a uh, paraphrasing of all of Kube's old, uh, you know, falls on me on the coach. And clearly somebody coached him midseason on that. But yeah, I would agree with you. It just doesn't, the vibes feel off. It doesn't feel like a program that's really connected with the fan base. It's a bad comparison because I don't think the standard on Holgerson is to be the number one team in the country like men's basketball is right now. But I think notably you don't see that uh, when you go to the Fujita center, even, even when the team wasn't number one, even when this was just, you know, a 
NCAA tournament, a good NCAA tournament, top 25 caliber team. You never saw that kind of disconnect between the coach and players. You never saw that kind of disconnect between uh, the fans. I, I think just kind of, kind of a hostile feeling right now between those of us that are still engaged with Cougar football and the people actually playing and coaching on the field there. Yeah, the connection, I think you said it perfectly because, you know, when he came here, it was about him being in Houston. He wanted to be here, and there was something about him coming here that was special to him. But when I watch, you know, what he he's done so far and, you know, how the fans kind of had reacted towards him, it's like they're just not getting any sort of excitement over Holgerson at all. I mean, Tom Herman seemed to be much better when he came in to create the immediate excitement. Obviously, he got the huge uh, season right off the bat, but it, it was more than that. He he went out there and, and really did the work on the ground, it seemed like, and I don't know if Holgerson is doing that as much. No, and I think part of it is that you don't, when you have that absurd buyout, you don't feel the heat. And obviously, I, I don't, I don't wish for everybody involved in athletics to feel like they're on a nice edge and about to get fired all the time, but it does kind of feel like a situation where he's just like, what are you going to do? Fire me? And <laughs> it's true. Like, what, Other than Tillman Fertitta coughing up the majority of an almost $20 million buyout, it's, we're kind of stuck with each other here. And I don't know if he's as willing to do, kind of like you alluded to, the stuff Herman did at the top, the selling the program. And I think, it's fine if that's not your thing, if you're just not wired to be the program seller guy. But but you better be good. <laughs> yeah, the on-field product better be a whole heck of a lot better than I think it was for the majority of this year if you're going to be kind of the grumpy X's and O's ball coach kind of guy riding the salesman and just did, didn't see it on the field this year in any any real consistent fashion. All right, I've had enough of the Cougs uh, football program. Uh, remind everybody about the podcast and, and uh, everything that's going on with you guys. Absolutely. We're the Scott Holman podcast. Like you said, you can find us on any podcast platform, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google. If they have podcasts there, we're there obviously putting stuff out uh, once a week for this intersection of uh, basketball and football season. Going to go through the spring, through the off season. And something we're very excited to do. We're also going to start doing uh, premium content. Our goal is to go to weekly on that. We're going to at least be uh, bi-weekly or bi-monthly, excuse me, uh, here at the start. So, uh, excited about that. Our first one's going to be a deep dive on Cougar football. It's all giving levels. We're not a, you have to give us 10 bucks to get the premium content. Uh, any amount of money you're willing to give uh, is fine. So we're excited to do that. Excited to keep putting out uh, the usual weekly content. And of course, uh, excited to talk to you, Robert, as always. Man, you got to go check out the podcast because it's the best way to keep up with the number one in the number nation, one. Houston Cougar basketball. Still surreal to say. <laughs> That is unbelievable. I didn't thought I would see the day again after the Akeem and Clyde Drexler years and Fi Slam Jamma. And it's just, it's so gorgeous to watch. And it's so fun to watch great basketball in Houston after watching too many Rockets games in recent uh, months and years and weeks and everything like that. It's just like the amount of effort that those guys put in every single game and doing all the little details. I mean, Kelvin Sampson is so much fun the way he is able to get these guys to do what he does on a every game basis it's just amazing uh can't wait to get more of that and always appreciate having you on the show thanks so much sam for doing this as always robert great to talk to you you're listening to houston sports talk
Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.